CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It is Friday. You know what time it is. Time for Options Action. I'm Melissa Lee. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in New York City's Times Square. Here's what's coming up. XLF'd? Carter Worth shows us why it could only get worse for the financials as peak everything peaks. Then, just do it. Or maybe don't do it. Tony Zhang swooshes in to help you play through Nike earnings. Plus... Mike Coe takes his broken wing and learns to fly again. To ride Amazon higher, it's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts right now. Well, as much of a sell-off as we've had, it's it's likely still all down from here. Think we're talking the overall market? Well, we're actually referring to the XLF specifically, but at this point, it's almost all one and the same. The chart master Carter Worth explains everything. Carter, take it away. Well, everything, that's uh, quite grand, but let's try. So what we know is, of course, uh, financials, um, third best performer over the past 12 months. We also know that 11.5%, it's an important sector in the S&P. And we also know that the big banks are the transmission mechanism for the economy. And uh, they're suffering. Let's look at the XLF, that's the spiders uh, for the sector, and try to divine the way forward. So the first chart, uh, it simply looks at the break-in trend that's taken place. It's a very clear trend line uh, since the October low, and we have a clear break-in trend. The second chart, uh, this is the same chart, but now on a two-year basis, it's highlighting the key level, which is the level from which the pandemic took place. And you can see the recovery. We got way above that level. So now if you put the first chart and the second chart together, the third chart, this then calls into question, could we possibly go back to the level from which we broke out, back to the pre-pandemic highs before the plunge? And I think that's actually what's coming. So next chart, were we to go down, we're down about 9% so far, simply to uh, the December, January highs before the COVID plunge, we'd be talking about about an 18% decline. And uh, that's very uh, sort of reasonable, if you will, given the fact that uh, many banks are already down 12 and 15 regionals and so forth. So the next chart, and this in many ways is the most important. What you have is this on the top, the same chart we were just looking at, right? The two-year chart of the XLF, and you can see the level highlighted, the level of Uh, January, February, before we plunge. But on the bottom, and this is key, is the relative performance to the S&P 500. And there's the rub. Uh, The the financials have never even recovered on a relative basis, despite all of the gains in small banks and big banks and insurers. They've never even recovered on a relative basis to their pre-pandemic level. And now you can see that actually we're flirting with breaking the minor uptrend that's been in effect since December. So they've only delivered alpha for effectively five, six months. And even that is now in question. XLF, 66 stocks in total, top five 
are almost 40% weight with Berkshire leading the way. Sell. Wow. Uh, Mike, what is the trade here for the financials? Yeah, so, I mean, Berkshire, as he just pointed out, that's the largest constituent at 1.4 times book. is not overwhelmingly expensive. And one could argue that we have seen the money center banks, which make up the next four largest constituents. I'm talking now about J.P. Morgan, Wells City, and Bank of America. But right now, the entire sector is trading about 1.7 times book. This is pretty much the highest levels that we've seen in 10 years. But valuation is only part of the story. What I'm actually thinking about was the fourth quarter of 2018. And for anybody who doesn't happen to remember how that turned out, XLF dropped, peaked to trough on the taper tantrum by about 23%, a 23% drop in XLF from about the $38.5 high that we recently saw would get us down to about 29.5. So playing on the basically the charts that Carter's talking about and also the fact that we have some precedent given what's causing some of this weakness. I think we could look to September, put on a put spread. I was looking at the September 35-31 put spread. That's a $4 put spread. The 35s were about $1.37 when I was looking at that earlier today. The 31s were about 37 cents net net. I'm spending a dollar for that $4 uh, put spread. That gives me a three to one payoff. And look, I mean, we, we saw obviously some weakness in the market broadly. But, you know, the financials were one of the areas that we did see considerable uh, weakness the last time we had a taper tantrum. I'm not saying we're going to get that again, but this does have some similar vibes to it, if you ask me. And I think this is a way that you can play, obviously, to hedge your portfolio if you have a lot of exposure to financials or to make a bearish bet with a limited amount of risk. Tony, what do you make of this trade? Um, I find it quite difficult sometimes to push brand new shorts when an index like this is down 9% in just two days. But as Carter showed you, the index is up 65% since the election has gone uncorrected. And I think especially with the flattening of the rate curve and you starting to see trading revenues decline, there is a, a thesis for this break in trend, as Carter puts it. The question is just how far. For me, when I look at the charts, I see some temporary support around that $33 level. That would be my primary targets here to the downside. But Mike is going out a little further here, going out to September. And I do like the risk to reward ratio on this put spread, looking for a potential downside move here of about three to one. And he is only risking about 3% of the underlying uh, ETFs value to put on this bearish bet. So I do think that this is a smart way to play for uh, potentially uh, a sizable correction here in financials. Carter, the XLF is a very broad uh, sort of ETF, and you mentioned Berkshire Hathaway being the, the biggest weight there. Um, there are insurance companies as well. Which subsector looks the weakest in your view? Well, uh, within financials, it's regional banks, meaning the circumstance that James discussed, which is how much excess return they deliver. And now the fact that the KRE peaked on March 18th. Now think about that. The market's gone a lot higher since then. So. Regional banks have been exhibiting poor relative strength for weeks and weeks, and there's a lot of beta there. And so uh, that would be the area that I would single out. Interestingly, Tony's level of 33, of course, that is exactly where the 150-day moving average comes into play. Hmm. All right. Uh, Let's move on to Nike now. The company's gearing up to report results next week. So, Tony, what is the setup here? Yeah, Nike had a great year last year, but has really have has underwhelmed here for 2021, and I certain I expect a little bit more of that is to come here on earnings next week. 
Uh, when we look at the chart itself, the stock has largely been trading sideways for the last eight to nine months or so, and it's already started to break some intermediate support levels around $130. But more importantly, relative to its sector, the consumer discretionary sector, Nike is already starting to break below some significant support levels here, and that poor relative strength does not bode well going into earnings next week. And if we look at the business itself, the multiple expansion that we've seen Nike uh, exhibit over the past year or so has largely been to the growth we've seen out of the Chinese market. And there's a lot of risk there, in my opinion, especially in the current political climate, potential boycotts, and the fact that it trades at a fairly rich multiple right now, despite the weaker sales data, I think this is a risk going into earnings. And when we look at the earnings report itself, uh, the stock currently is implying about a 5% move here, uh, while historically over the last eight quarters, it's moved about 5%. So the market is pretty much implying what we've seen from history here. But I want to take advantage of the skew that we currently see here in the term structure by trading a diagonal spread. I'm going out to the June 25th weekly. 123 August 130 put diagonal here, spending about $6.25 for the August 130 puts and selling the June 25 weekly options 123 puts against that for about $1.24. Net net here, I'm paying about $5 for this $7 wide diagonal spread, uh, risking here a little under uh, 4% of the stock's value to place this bearish bet going into earnings next week. Mike, what do you make of this trade? What do you think of Nike? So, you know, it's interesting, of course, because just from an operating business standpoint, Nike has really been knocking it out of the park. I mean, we, we have to say that, I mean, a lot of the plans that they've made, uh, obviously, in the online space in terms of innovation, they've actually accelerated those plans. But to Tony's point, I mean, at 33 times earnings, give or take, it's, it's not like it's exceptionally cheap. Uh, I would expect if we were going to see some bit of a market pullback that, you know, maybe this would be another name that would obviously be hit by that. And, of course, really take a look at the trade because, you know, I wouldn't this isn't a stock I'd be inclined to short going into earnings just based on how well they've actually been able to manage their business. But risking about four percent of the current stock price, owning that longer dated option, you really are getting some downside protection, essentially, you know, on whether or not it's earnings, but also potentially anything else that could be causing some pressure on the market. And we are seeing that. So I like the trade structure in particular as a way to make the bearish bet. I do think the valuation is a little bit rich, but it may be deservedly so. Carter, what do you see in the Nike chart? Sure, a couple things. And uh, one we know is that this stock has not participated all year. It's been a good year for equities until the last uh, week or two. And yet Nike peaked on the December 11th period, December 12th. Relative strength is important, and it's important to the market. It's important to the sector. But here's the real problem. Puma's making new highs. So is Adidas. Crocs has made a new 52-week high this week. And Nike hasn't made a high since December. Price volume correlation is bearish. Relative strength is poor. Wow. So this is a Nike-specific problem. Tony, did you think that this was a Nike-specific problem when you took a look at the charts? Uh, we're seeing some of the weakness in China, not just with Nike, but also with Adidas. But as, as Carter showed you, there is a clear dis, uh, distinction here between those two brands. But we are seeing weakness across China, not just in Nike. Yep. All right. Don't forget to check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Coming up, if you played along last week, Carter charted a winner in Adobe. Now he and Mike are back with a second similar setup. 
and other alliterations. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Last week, Carter and Mike constructed a winner around Adobe. Essentially a key moment at a key former high, now you make your bets. We think it will break out and exceed the former high. One way to make a bullish bet is to buy a longer dated September 540 call. Those were trading for a little over $28 when I was looking at that earlier today. And then look to sell some of that elevated short dated premium. I was looking at the June 555 calls. Those were just under $5. Net net, you would lay out about $23.75 per share. That's about or just under 4.5% of the current stock price. Since then, it's broken out to a new level. But in case you missed that one, Carter spotted a new name with a similar setup. Carter. Well, sort of that's what's fun, right? If uh, Let me just say this. A lot of clients, a lot of colleagues, they do both. They do charts, they do fundamentals, as I call it, and try to marry the two. Uh, my world is just one thing, and I want to keep it that way. And so what you're going to see now is the exact same drawings that we saw for Adobe, but they're a different company. It's Amazon. Take a look. Do the setups have to work? Of course not, but we make our bets accordingly. What do we have? Amazon, a strong, uncorrected move, and then 10 months resting, consolidating. In principle, a setup for a breakout. Next chart, another way to draw the lines. The exact same time frame, exact same chart, just different annotations. You can call it an ascending triangle or wedge. It doesn't matter, meaning there's tension here and tension standoffs are resolved. Next chart, same time frame, just drawing the lines a different way. Next chart, drawing them yet a different way. And all of these drawings were the same as Adobe. Does it have to break out? Of course not. Um, are there inflection points in the market? Yes, this is one of them. Now, take a look at the final chart. This is a two panel. And again, just like Adobe, on the top is the stock, in this case, Amazon, not Adobe. And on the bottom is relative performance to the S&P. So if you're going sideways for 10 months while the market is ascending, definitionally, your relative strength line is going down. But now we see that, of course, it's starting to move above the downtrend line on the bottom panel. So good setup absolute, interesting developmental action relative. Make your bets. Ours is long. Okay, similar setup, Mike, so a similar trade maybe for Amazon. What what do you think? Yeah, we we can't do quite the exact same trade for Amazon. You know, one of the issues that we have, I mean, first thing, I would just talk about the stock in general. I mean, obviously, the stock has been range bound for a time, but this is a stock that has really been growing into what I think historically people thought was a high valuation. But if you maintain that growth, it isn't really. You'll remember that for a long time, people used to price Amazon on a price to EBITDA basis. And the reason was rather than looking at net income because the company was reinvesting so much 
uh, into their business and into their own growth. But you can see that if you take a, a look at a long-term chart of its price to EBITDA, that it is at a historical low right here. I mean, actually, the company is probably trading around 36 times full year 2022 earnings, and that is with better than 40% revenue growth over the course of the last 12 months, we're probably going to see something like full year EPS growth uh, just under 70% or so. Uh, so this is obviously a company that has indeed grown well into its valuation. But the problem with using a trade like the one we did in Adobe is that because the share price is so expensive, it's just under $3,500 where it closed today, so will the options also be expensive. So what we're trying to do is identify a trade structure that will allow us to make a bullish bet without making an enormous outlay of premium. Of course, it won't be cheap because it's not a cheap stock, but maybe we can make it a little bit cheaper. I was looking at the August 3650, 3850, 3950 broken wing call butterfly. This isn't a trade we talk a lot about. You'd be buying the 3650 calls, selling two of the 3850s, and then buying one of the 3950s. When I was looking at that earlier today, the total outlay of premium would be about $31.40 a share, $3,140 to put the whole trade on to get exposure to 100 shares worth. That's less than a single share of Amazon stock. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that the risk is comparable to owning a single share of stock, but it is a way that you can use options to reduce the outlay to make a bullish bet. The peak profits would be achieved if you hit that 38.50 short strike. The reason you use a broken wing call butterfly instead of a symmetrical one is that if the stock does, in fact, go beyond that short strike, you will see profits at any level beyond that. Uh, not as much as you would get at the 38.50 level, but you will see profits. Unlike just using a straight symmetrical call fly where you're kind of trying to thread the needle and find that short strike, this just gives us a less expensive way to make a bullish bet. Take advantage of the fact that some of the options premiums are pretty elevated. That's one of the reasons we're selling two of those 3850s. Okay, so a broken wing call butterfly is definitely a trade we don't talk about often. So, Tony, what do you make of this? Yeah, so uh, this is a very, very creative way to reduce the cost of this particular trade. Uh, for those of you that are not quite familiar with the broken wing butterfly, or even a call butterfly for that matter, a better way to think about this is think of it as, as two vertical spreads. What Mike is effectively doing is buying a 3650-3850 call debit spread and then selling a 3850-3950 call credit spread. And he's collecting about 13 to 14 bucks on that call credit spread to the upside. And he's going to use that premium to offset the cost of that call debit spread. And here he's reducing the risk of his total trade by about 30% than outright buying that debit spread. So very, very creative way to reduce the premium. As far as Amazon goes, this is, this is a company that shows absolutely no signs of slowing down. Uh, you know, they're building out about another 40% of fulfillment space here over the next couple of years. They're delivering about two-thirds of all of their own packages now as opposed to relying on FedEx and UPS. And they're making the content play through acquisitions like MGM and, and AWS is not slowing down anytime soon. So uh, especially Carter's charts here, you see this massive continuation pattern that's been forming for the last nine or 10 months. It's about to break out here to the upside. That targets about $4,300 to the upside. So I like this trade and I think Mike has taken a very smart way to reduce the premium on uh, on this options trade. All right. Coming up, time to answer your questions. We're taking your tweets next. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take some of your tweets. Our first viewer asks, would it be possible to get an update on last week's SLV trade? The price broke to the downside so far. In situations like this, do you give the trade more time or do you cut it and move on? Uh, Carter, why don't you take this one? Sure. We've had a lot of uh, back and forth with clients and others on SLV. I mean, talk about going the wrong way. Uh, the idea was that this was poised to move higher. Indeed, it was poised to drop. The question is ever thus, what to do with something that's not working. Um, I give you what I've done. I, I, I added to my position. Now, that's probably not what you want to hear. Uh, the risk manager would say, take measures, do something. And often, uh, I have said here on this program, of course, first loss, past loss. My hunch, what I've done myself, is to stay. Our next viewer asks, see any action on FedEx toward earnings? So, Mike, anything worth watching? Uh, we actually did see quite a lot. So uh, people probably realize they're going to be reporting on the 24th. We saw about two times the average daily put volume today. It's implying about the average move of a little under 5%. But it was next week's expiration, 280 puts that were the most active options today. And, you know, the stock hasn't performed particularly well over the last couple of weeks. So if that's if those two things are any indication, it would seem at least by today's flows that some people are taking some measures and making some bets that maybe next week's earnings are not going to be that great. What's your guess, Carter, according to the charts? Yes. Uh, transports in general uh, peaked before the S&P. My thinking here is that uh, FedEx will move lower. Um, here's one from our next viewer who asks, with GE announcing an 8-to-1 reverse stock split on July 30th, what happens to my four January 2022 calls? Will I automatically be closed out? Tony, why don't you take this one? Uh, so your calls will not be closed out. The OCC will adjust these options, and you will have the adjusted options in your portfolio. As far as what the adjustment will be on this specific option, I do not know, but you can find out on the OCC website. All right, good tips there. Up next, we got the final call. Final call time, Carter. Amazon, I like it long. Financials, I like them short. Out of bad pairs trade. Do them both. Tony. Nike put diagonals. Mike. Amazon. All right, that does it for us. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.